and our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love. For that child, so dear and gentle, is our Lord in heaven above. And he leads his children on to the place where he is gone, not in that poor lowly stable with the oxen standing by. We shall see him, but in heaven, set at God's right hand on high, where like stars his children crowned, all in white, shall wait around. Welcome to Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss Reformed theology, cultural issues, and all things seminary. You're listening to episode 114, and I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for tuning in. In our last episode of 2021, Dr. Alan Strange continues to examine Christmas hymns, this time looking at Once in Royal David's City. Jared, uh, now I believe as these fall out in their uh, being aired, we're probably on the other side of Christmas Day itself. Uh, we are in that period of the 12 days of Christmas then uh, that lead up to Epiphany. I won't go into details about all of this, but you can look that up. That's not simply some sort of song with a bunch of gifts. There's a, there's a purpose uh, for all that. By the way, it's not 12 days leading up to Christmas. It's Christmas Day is that uh, pear tree day. Well, we talked also about how New Horizons, which is the uh, monthly magazine of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, has this regular feature, a box uh, somewhere in there called Favorite Psalms and Hymns, and they're working through the Trinity Psalter Hymnal, and we saw that something like of the Father's Love Begotten, uh, which is a really beautiful hymn, uh, is an appropriate thing to sing at Christmas, and we saw that in the current issue, uh, there is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, there is a nice setting forth of something of its history and even the little gift of a beautiful stanza that's not normally, uh, it's not in the Trinity Psalter hymnal, it's not in most of the modern hymnals uh, sung. Just one little further piece of business about of the Father's love begotten. I didn't comment specifically about the music, and I always have a, a great deal to say about the music, but I'm sparing our listeners in a general way. Uh, but I would say this, if, if, you, if you've sung or tried to sing, some people might say that. We've tried to sing of the Father's love begotten in our church. It's kind of difficult. Well, I can appreciate the difficulty and it's something I would urge you that it's worth working through because if your church can learn it, it'll become one of your favorites. Uh, it is, the music for this is a moving plain song. It's in the plain song style. You can look that up if you're interested. That's one word, plain song uh, of the 12th century. And it was arranged in the early 20th century, but it's a medieval style of singing that would have characterized particularly in the monastery this style of singing uh it's a it's a medieval liturgical chant sung in unison uh, that yields a hymn of very lovely expression of of the truth you might say coupled with ardent religious affection which is i think reflected in the music 
But I'm going to go on to talk about another publication that uh, many of our listeners are no doubt familiar with. Uh, we're familiar uh, with, of course, the uh, Ligonier organization that that is now, I say is now, but for some years has been housed in Florida. It used to be in Pennsylvania. Uh, but I have been a reader, as I'm sure probably a lot of you have been readers, of Table Talk. Uh, I've been a reader of that for more than 30 years. And in the current issue, the December issue of Table Talk, there is a before the daily devotional section starts, which is something that many of us use as part of our daily devotions, uh, there are a number uh, of uh, writers who have been asked to write uh, about Christmas hymns. And so it begins, for example, with James Brown, uh, not that one, but another James Brown <laughs> writing on uh, Sea Amid the Winter Snow. Uh, and then just, I'm not going to give you all of these, but just a little idea here. The next one is is Robert Rothwell writing on O Come All Ye Faithful, uh, or the next one is Kevin Gardner on Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming. So these are well known, and they run it through until the last contributor, last and least. Uh, I can say that because uh, I wrote the article, so you get to say that <laughs> when you write it. Uh, and I was asked to, re- to write particularly to comment, to reflect on Once in Royal David City. And Once in Royal David City is a poem written by Cecil Francis Alexander, 1818 to 95. And Alexander uh, published it for the first time in 1848 in a book of children's hymns uh, as a part of the series of poems on the Apostles' Creed, seeking in this hymn to address the affirmation. So as you know, you work through the Apostles' Creed. There's the affirmation that our Lord was born of the Virgin Mary. So this hymn was written as a kind of, uh, as a kind of response by Alexander uh, to that. And uh, let me just read you the two stanzas particularly that I was commenting on. And the title of my article is, Our, Our Eyes at Last Shall See Him. And it verses uh, stanzas five and six say, And our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love, for that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above. And he leads his children on to the place where he is gone. Stanza six, Not in that poor lowly stable with the oxen standing by. We shall see him but in heaven, set at God's right hand on high, where like stars his children crowned all in white, shall wait around. So you can hear how this is a children's hymn. It has a very accessible and approachable language. And these last two stanzas of the hymn that I just quoted for you continue to draw forth the fullness of the glorified Christ in his incarnation. The earlier stanzas, if you were to look at those, we're not going to take the time to to read through stanzas one through four, but you can do so. This again is once in Royal David's city, uh, those earlier stanzas addressed Christ in his humiliation, we might say, as he lived and walked on earth, both in his active and his passive obedience, as Alexander also does in There's a Green Hill Far Away. That's also written for the children, but There's a Green Hill Far Away talks about particularly our Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his passion and humiliation. But this fifth stanza that I just quoted particularly focuses on us in our glorification, uh, 
in which we will join Christ who has been in his estate of exaltation since his resurrection. And it says there at last with fully renewed eyes in a fully renewed heavens and earth, we shall see him. Now, it's not saying all those words I just said. I'm expositing it for you. Only then and there, only in the world to come after we are resurrected uh, in our new, as a, as a part of the new creation, only then and there will we be able to see him properly. No longer shall we see him as we did when he was below with us, as in that poor lowly stable, but we shall see him as he is in heaven, set at God's right hand on high. We shall do so through his own redeeming love. It's his redeeming love that brings us there to heaven. The merits and mediation of Christ alone afford us this heavenly entrance. Christ entered his glorified state, we said, uh, I noted a moment ago, upon his resurrection from the dead, and all of God's people follow after the Lord, uh, and we will likewise enter the glorified state when Christ returns, when the dead will be raised and his own will receive glorified bodies. Until then, we remain in a state of humiliation. This is true even for the blessed dead who are with Christ, right? Philippians 1.23, those who have died are with Christ, but they don't have bodies. It's they're with him in their souls. Uh, they're better off than those who remain and continue to live in this present creation. Uh, their bodies do, though, remain separated from their souls. As Westminster Larger Catechism says, they rest in their graves as in their beds, and thus they remain in part in a state of humiliation. Uh, we enter our full glorification only when Christ returns and we are all, body and soul, made new in a fully renewed heavens and earth. So we could say what, what begins now for us as believers who die in this present age, it's better than what believers have in this life, which is to say we have a good life in Christ, right? Philippians 1.21, for us to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So that means in the intermediate state, though what we have is is good, that's better <laughs> comparatively, right? Uh, we could say no small part of what constitutes that best life to come, not your best life now, but the best life to come is the attainment of the beatific vision, or as Alexander's hymn puts it, our eyes, which we don't have in the intermediate state. So the mention of our eyes, you see, we don't have that when we don't have a body. So this that part assumes that this is the final state. Our eyes uh, will in the resurrection be restored and shall see him as he is. So looking forward to that great uh, as many of our friends would say, getting up morning, that great getting up morning, the resurrection, that grants us, looking forward to that, grants us here and now the patience that we need by the work of the Spirit, uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have that hope. So it's important to have this hope and this eager anticipation of seeing our Lord in glory. This helps us live in the here and now with all of its griefs, disappointments, struggles, and even bitterness. When we know, contrary to the world, that we're not constantly pressed to seize the day and go for the gusto, having to find all of our joy in the here and now, we understand the world has to find its joy in the here and now. 
we can actually enjoy this life better when we know that complete fulfillment awaits us. We can enjoy all the provisional things we have now much better. When we realize that we're in a state of humiliation and that that we will be in that state until Christ comes back, it lowers our expectations and enables us to enjoy the many moderate pleasures of this life since they don't need to be invested with the joy that pertains only to the coming age. In other words, if we try to invest all of the things of this present world with that which pertains to the joy that will be ours in fullness in the coming age, it'll all disappoint us. <laughs> it always will disappoint us, even when we look to that, and maybe especially when we look to that in each other. And so this is a beautiful, beautiful expression given here in this child's hymn that in a few words really is recognizing something very profound. Many Christians have come to expect that they ought to be living their best life now. They see, though, Christians who are honest, that their lives remain fraught with problems. Uh, They feel as if perhaps they shouldn't have such problems as Christians. Maybe some of our listeners are feeling that. Why do I have this problem, these problems, if I'm a Christian? But God never told us that we would not have tribulation in this world. Jesus told us that we would. And he also said, be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. And so we see uh, Alexander's hymn says that we too will overcome when we see him on his throne and enter the new heavens and earth, there forever to gaze on him in his glory. So that's a, a bit from my article. Uh, and there are other articles, and of course, you're welcome uh, in, in, to contact Ligonier uh, if you're not familiar with what they have on offer, and there may be some kind of a link uh, that you can do that with. But back just a little bit to the Trinity Psalter hymnal, if we were to look uh, beginning in uh, selection 303 through 324, uh, that's that distinctly Christmas or birth section. Uh, and there's a number of wonderful things there. 303 and 304 are both by Luther. So it's good to have a couple of those uh, Luther Christmas hymns right at the beginning there. And Luther, unlike Wesley, wrote the music for his. Uh, Luther was a, a rather accomplished musician uh, himself. And so uh, then you also see uh, in 305, a German hymn that predates Luther's Reformation. And that's sort of an exciting thing when you look at that. That is, Lo, how a rose air blooming, or as some of you may know it better, Es ist ein Rost entsprungen. Just a little joke there for our German friends. That's a beautiful hymn with harmonization by Michael Pretorius. Uh, Speaking of musicians of that stature, uh, we do have harmonization uh, in a number of places by J.S. Bach. We have not only hymns of German pietism, but uh, 308, for example, is a medieval Latin carol. And the Wesley hymn, of course, is 311, which we mentioned earlier. And there are many others quite wonderful here. And you know, as I look at my list here, I think we've got good material uh, for Perhaps next year, some more things to talk about. Uh, but until then, uh, we pray God's richest blessings upon you all uh, during the season in which we think about and celebrate 
particularly our Lord Jesus Christ coming to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that's a wrap for 2021. Thank you so much to our listeners for making this a great year to produce podcasts consistently every week. I appreciate your tuning in, feedback, and overall encouragement as we, the seminary, seek to use this medium in service to the church. As you know, we take January off as we gear up for more podcast releases in February, but in the meantime, I encourage you to check out our archive of episodes at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and subscribe if you haven't done so already. You'll also find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and wherever you tune in to listen to your favorite shows. I wish you and yours the happiest of New Year's. I'm Jared Luchibor, and I look forward to you joining us in 2022. Till then, friends. 